When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. Virginia Tech head football coach Brent Pry joins us for this episode of the Tech Sideline podcast. We'll ask him about Virginia Tech's success late last season, playing with high expectations, what's coming up in spring football, and more. This is episode 348 of the Tech Sideline podcast. And it starts right now. We're recording on Monday, February 19th, 2024, from our studio in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. I'm Tech Sideline founder Will Stewart, and to my right is lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman. Across the way is a man who needs no introduction, Virginia Tech Virginia Tech head football coach Brent Pryor. Coach, welcome in. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. So you are the record holder. This is your fourth time in here, which is well ahead of anybody else. So you got to give Mike Young and uh, Kenny Brooks a hard time. They've each only been on twice, I think. Okay. Plus another a roster. I feel like I haven't seen you all in a while. It's been a year. Yeah, I appreciate okay. you coming you in. Um, so, Coach, you've done this before. So um, the way it works is Chris and I will alternate questions. we got stuff we want to ask you. I tend to ask more big picture stuff. He tends to ask more personnel and more specific type stuff. So let's jump right into it. So, The first question I have for you is, um, and I apologize because this is kind of a long question, but I want to frame everything because it's one I've been dying to ask you for (laughs) months now. Um, Going back to the Marshall game, after the Marshall game. So after that, when you're 4-11 and all-time at Virginia Tech, and your team had topped 30 points exactly once against uh, Old Dominion in the season opener this past season. Now, you had some issues on defense, but regarding the offense, there were times where you questioned what the team was doing offensively. After the 2022 Miami game, you said, we can't just line up and be vanilla. We've proven we're not that offense that can just line up and say we're going to run it and play action. And also, I think at another point, you said, we've got to make sure we're playing the right personnel that can make the plays that are necessary. So after that Marshall game, you come out against Pitt and you hang 38 on them. Go six and three down the stretch, six games over thirty points, two games over forty, and one game over fifty, and we we know who that game was. Um, it's it's what so what, what I want to ask you is it it looks like to us it's more than just Kyron Drones becoming your starting quarterback. The offense changed. It, it became much harder to defend. A lot more motion. A lot more movement by the linemen. Uh, so the question that I'm finally getting to is. What happened? Can you walk us through that? Because that was a pretty profound change midstream. I think it's a combination of things. Um, Certainly Kyron's a big piece of it. His ability uh, to run the football, 
his ability to throw the ball outside of the pocket, you know, from different platforms, um, his demeanor. I think all of that was very impactful. But along with that, partly because of him, partly because we needed to, we opened up the offense. I would, I would say that we opened it up, you know, sideline to sideline. Uh, we just used more of the field. Uh, when you do that, it gives you the opportunity, uh, extended motions and shifts, uh, make it a little bit tougher to defend, uh, create more running lanes, more opportunities for misfits, more opportunities for open field tackles, uh, which we all know are challenging in this day and age. Um, and I think it also gave us the ability to spread the ball around a little bit better. So combination of a lot of things, you know, the, co the conversation with Coach Bowen, with Tyler, who did a tremendous job through the transition is how do we really accentuate Kyron's strengths? But side conversation, we've got to open up the offense more, use more of the field, make people defend more. You know, how do we do that? So uh, I think those two things together, they were parallel and uh, kind of timed up pretty good. You know, Kyron coming into the position, a couple of games to, to really truly figure out <clears throat> his strengths and weaknesses on Saturdays. Where do we need to scale back? Where do we need to change? Um, that was part of it as well. So I think uh, harnessing that was the challenge, and I think Coach Bowen and the offensive staff did a tremendous job. Well, you'll start out more settled on offense this year because you know who your quarterback's going to be. You know what type of offense uh, you should run and things like that. So do you start out with more advanced stuff this year, or do you – Start with the basics again. How, how does it work now that everybody knows where they stand? I think, you know, we're, we're certainly feel better about an identity and who we need to be and what our strengths can be. And, but I'm a big believer, you know, we're in phase one right now and everything needs to be 100 level. It's fundamentals, it tech, it's technique, it's mental and physical toughness, like all those things. You reboot, you know, you start back over. Uh, in January when these guys report. And, uh, you know, we're there's been times in my career where we've gotten the cart in front of the horse and try to do too much. And, you know, it just it doesn't work that way. You know, again, these are 18 to 22-year-old, you know, college students. And, and we've got to make sure that we do the 100-level things right before we try two and 300-level. You know, they're obviously not going to work if, if we're not getting the basics right. So... Uh, that's the mode we're in right now. Everything that Kyron brings to the table, how much of it did you know before he actually started playing, and how much of it was revealed once he was on the field? Because a guy like his, with with his skill set, if he's wearing the orange jersey and you can't tackle him in practice, a lot is hidden. So clearly, his ability to run the football may have been an unknown quantity. But but what else happened that you learned as he got more and more playing time? I think first of all, his athleticism, his size. And we all felt like this guy's going to be hard to tackle. But until he had the opportunity, you know, in true ball games against, you know, quality defenders, it doesn't resonate with you as strongly. You know, yeah, we can sit here and say, oh, man, he's going to be hard to tackle. And, you know, that's a positive for him. But 
the way it impacted the game and just how good he was at making people miss or running through tackles, um, you don't really know that until you see it firsthand. And so it was expected, but maybe not to that degree. And then, you know, he just, he's a guy that really, I mean, you got to remember one of the reasons Grant won the job was he'd started just all these games, right? He had all this experience and Kyron had never started a college football game. Uh, he was inconsistent at times in practice. You know, I think I've said this before, there were days in preseason camp that if we had had to name a starter in that moment, we would have chosen Kyron. But then there were just, you know, more days where we felt like our best opportunity was with Grant. So uh, both, you know, I, I think the competition was great in itself, but Kyron still had so much to learn and to grow to get to a place. Do we beat Old Dominion with Kyron in game one? I don't know that. You know, we saw that, you know, the the transformation over those first four weeks to get to the, the play in the Pittsburgh game and Wake Forest and down the stretch. So the thing I would say is he always got better. You know, even if there was a setback or a, a bad day, there were so many things he improved in. Just a raw guy. And to be honest, you know, his, he's got a tremendous ceiling. And he still, he still has tons of things that he can improve on. Chris and I, in, in watching the limited film of him that was available before he really started playing a lot for Tech, um, I think Chris would agree with this. His improvement as a passer was was rapid once he really got the playing time for you guys. Yeah. I think that was the biggest surprise for us. Yeah, he's thrown some good balls. Um, I think the receivers feel good about you know the ball placement and, and catchable balls. Just, But also, I think Coach Bone and the guys, I mean, we've – you go back and look at the film. There's receivers in pretty good position. You know, we got some guys running open and and some spacing where we're we got defenders. You know, we're in good position where we can throw a ball and it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, I think uh, we got quite a bit of that. And then the nature of of how we're running the football forces folks to play a little bit more zone, and now you can capture those voided zones. Now, Jerome's also seems like the type who kind of leads the charge in strength and conditioning in the offseason. <laughs> uh, can you speak on that and maybe who else is standing out uh, as far as strength and conditioning? Yeah, goes? he's just he's one of the more imposing guys on our team. Um, he's strong and he's athletic. He's 6'2 and some change. He runs about 235. Um, and he's a, he's a really, really high-level worker. Um, and that's not just on the practice field. That's in the weight room. So... We've got a bunch of guys making tremendous strides right now. Um, you know, I'm pleased with the three transfer D tackles. They all bring strength and size to the position. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Montavious, what he brings to the offensive line, he's got great feet. We had in a competition on Thursday morning where he went the entire morning session rep for rep against the Neas Peoples, and it went about 50-50, which is a pretty strong testament for Montavious because Aeneas has quick feet, you know, explosive guy. He's proven that. So, you know, there's some good things going on on both fronts. Um, you know, I think we got a healthy Kelly Lawson right now. He's able to bend and play low and move and use his length. I think down the stretch, 
you know, Kelly was pretty beat up and, and dealing with a couple different things. Got to continue to put weight on him. Um, Dorian Strong really working well, uh, highlighted an example of him running the hoops this morning for the team. I mean, it was teach tape. And uh, Quan Felton is, is arguably maybe our hardest worker, uh, one of our best competitors. He's got that beautiful body. He's athletic. He's strong. He's a worker. He probably had the most upside of anybody we've brought in here out of the transfer portal, uh, just from where he was and where he could where he could end up. So, a lot of good things happening. You uh, you mentioned Kelly Lawson. I, th- I think Chris has a question about uh, a linebacker you picked up in the transfer portal who's here for the spring about Sam, right, Chris? I do. Uh, you know, you kind of went last year without a natural Mike linebacker. Uh, so how does how much does Sam Brumfield fill that void, and what other players are pushing in a spot in the two deep? Uh, Ace and Stevens, George Balance, how could they factor in? Yeah, you mon- you mentioned some guys that are all good candidates. I think. Um, you know, Sam, we brought him in, his experience at the position, he does. I, I've had success in this in this structure with guys that have kind of played Mike by committee. It's not ideal, but but you can have a good defense. Um, I think we lost, you know, we were missing Dax's leadership and stability, you know, particularly in the tackle box. Um, I think what Sam brings to us, some of those same traits. He's a good force, good reads inside. He, you know, he's a little bit undersized from a length standpoint. But if you see this cat in, in you know, a T-shirt and shorts, I mean, he is built now. And he can run. You know, he's going to hit them alleys pretty quick. And, um, you know, yet to be seen the leadership and, and the command of the defense – Everything I'm told from his previous institution and those coaches is he's going to bring that. He's earning respect right now. He's working his butt off. Yeah, I think uh, obviously McDonald is is a candidate there as well. He got some good experience last year. Still a guy that is growing into that position. I think he'll make good strides this spring. I'm excited about Ace and Stevens. He's going to have an opportunity uh, at Mike. I'm excited about George Balance, a young man that's walked on that that day in and day out impresses us with the things he does. Um, so we've got a good competition there. I feel much better about it going in, you know, to this spring than I did last year at this time. So that kind of segues into a question I wanted to ask you. Uh, you know, spring football's different this year because you had last year you had so many new guys and you're just trying to figure out where yeah. everybody fits. This year you have you do have some new guys, but you also have a lot of guys that are known quantities. Does that change the focus of spring practice for you last year versus this year, or, or is it the same? You know, I, I would say this. I, I think in our, our program in general, the process and the way we do things, you know, is established. The expectations. Um, can we dive into some things to some more specific points and traits that we need to improve on? Yeah. But, uh, again, spring for me, you can look at the guys that are returning, but you also look at that, that pack of guys, the Mose Phillips and the Caleb Woodson and Aiden Green, and all these guys are going to be really important. Johnny Garrett that could be instrumental, you know, over the course of a long season, in our success, so we've got to bring that group along. Braylon Johnson, Dante Lovett, you know, Takai Heath. You know, there's so many guys that 
that we could have to depend on in major roles. Um, so, you know, those guys are going to be impactful on special teams. You know, they're added depth that we haven't really had in the previous two years. Um, you know, Lath Gannum. I mean, there's, there's so many guys in that next rung that are going to be very important. And so, again, 100 level, making sure these guys understand the fundamentals that they can play with them, that they can can improve and execute at a high level from a technique standpoint. Um, that, to me, is the winner in the spring. Who gets the reps at nickel? And I guess that goes back into Dante Lovett needs to come around and play some more corner and things like that. Yeah, we've got some good candidates there. I think, uh, you know, you see when you when you talk about playing over a slot, you know, who could who could who could go across and play slot for us in the secondary? You know, Thomas Williams, um, you know, can Dante do that on the right body type? Can Dorian Strong do that? Um, to me, if you to play nickel, you ought to be able to go play slot. You know, maybe the ball skills aren't the same, but everything else, movement, quickness, uh, foot speed, um, you know. So I think, you know, we've got to see where Dorian's at with that spot. It's hard. It was really hard last year because when he was, you know, he's playing such at, at such a high level at corner, you want him out there at corner. But as our depth has grown at the corner position, you know, can we get to a point where we have more flexibility, where we can pull him off, a perimeter player and put him at the slot because uh, he certainly has a skill set to do it. Um, wasn't planning on asking this, but since we're talking about that position, and, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I'm curious about Derek Canteen and his decision to transfer out. Can you shed a little light on that? Yeah. First of all, I, nothing but love and respect for D.C. He brought a lot to our program. His work ethic, his maturity, everything that I talk about, he was an example of that. He really helped that DB, the whole unit, uh, how he approached practice. And he wanted to be a starter. You know, we really got, you know, you look at the way Jalen Jones came on down the stretch and his skill set and his ceiling. Um, and with Monsoor and Dorian returning and, you know, and I respect DC for that. You know, he didn't want to be in that role again um, where, you know, I would love for him to have stayed. I wanted him to. Um, you know, he could pl plug in at corner, plug in at safety, plug in at neck, you know, just uh, when you talk about having that kind of veteran as, as a depth guy, that's, you're very fortunate. And uh, so we well, were good last year. And, what, I, and I think that segues into a, a sounds like you had a very honest conversation with him. And it looks from the outside looking in, it looks like that's a really important foundation of your program is to be honest with your players and that I think that they appreciate that. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, what we do is really hard, and it's challenging as coaches and players. And I think when you're not transparent, when you're not honest and genuine, number one, I'm not sure what type of relationship can really exist. And we all know how important those are, especially in today's times. But secondly, you know, it is it, – it's just hard. And to eliminate the gray – and to be matter of fact with one another, coach to player, coach to coach, player to player, uh, it seems to me you can grow and you can make improvements at a much better pace. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, just hitting it square in the face and 
that's how we do things. Um, I'm not smart enough, maybe that's it, to, to navigate this thing where you're giving half-truths and you know, you're playing some kind of game with these guys. And, you know, I, it's just – it makes more sense to me to uh, be straightforward with them. And I think they do appreciate it. I always told people I'd never lie because I could never keep track of all yeah. the lies. So. <laughs> um, is safety depth, uh, finding a second starter at safety – is that probably the most important thing from a depth from from a roster standpoint that you could do this spring? Yeah, you know, I think um, having to juggle Monsoor, you know, and and do some of those things, I'd prefer not to do that. Um, you know, so seeing some of these other guys come along uh, behind Jalen, behind Stro, uh, whether that's Braylon Johnson or Cam Fleming, you know, we, we've got a lot of good candidates. You know, this winter and spring is, is really important. Mose Phillips got some good experience. Um, you know, so I think we're in, a, we're in a good place. Again, it's just the development of those guys is critical. So going back to that dark time after the Marshall game, um, Chris and I know from, first of all, this, this sounds like a weird thing to say, but, but as media, that was very difficult for us because when the team starts losing like that, our phones blow up and our email blows up. Yeah. So it was it was difficult for us talking to people in the tech athletic department. The Hokie Club got worked that week. It was difficult for them. Um, you clearly have a vision and a plan for the program. At that, at any point in time, do you or did you start to doubt that? What were your thoughts when you were sitting and sitting alone at night thinking about the program? No, I didn't doubt it. It was just making sure that you know I was putting my attention in the right places and that we were, we were working in the right areas uh, to where we can be better going into that game preseason. That's a 50, 50 game to me with where we were as a program. So to go up there against a talented running back and a well-coached team and at their place, and it's like a super bowl for them. And when we play these teams in our footprint, all those cats wanted to go to Virginia tech. I mean, that's a, that's a tough game. That's a tough schedule. Um, you know, so even ahead of time, you know, it's, you know, do you view that game differently than Rutgers or, you know, not necessarily for where we were as a program. Um, it's going to be a tough game. So you come out of that one on the bus ride home, it's okay. What didn't we do well enough? Why? How do we improve it? Um, is that a personnel question? And that's a schematic question. And also, I always go back and look at fundamentals, at key reads, at, at things that are 100 level, are we doing those? Because if we're not, don't worry about the rest of the stuff. Um, you know, so each and every game, I think it's about as a staff, very quickly you have to evaluate things and make sure that, that you're identifying the right areas that you need to concentrate on improvement. You've got Caleb Woodson listed as both a star and a linebacker on the roster. So you're going to do some cross-training, I assume, this spring. What, what's the overall plan with him, yeah. and how do you view him? Yeah, I'm excited about Caleb. He's got a great frame. He's going to be a really nice-looking linebacker. I love the experience he got out there at Star. Um, star is, a, is one of the more challenging physical positions in the defense, one of the less challenging from a just – technique and and things that are necessary from a mental standpoint there's not as much to learn but uh, will on the other hand a, a ton of adjustments a lot of communication involved and Caleb's ready for that I think uh, you know obviously 
creating depth for our linebacker unit, but also is he going to be a better will than star? You know, I probably feel that he will, but this is going to give us a chance to figure that out. So one thing I thought you got really good at was your, your timing and your execution of trick plays. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the fake punt to Cole Nelson, timing was beautiful and the execution was beautiful. Um, I've, I've always been fascinated by some coaches seem to be really good at that and some aren't, you know. So share some of uh, how do you figure when and how do you prepare those things and when do you decide to pull them out? I think it goes back to being aggressive in your mentality, first of all. Um, you know, that you're not fearful to call something that equals a minus yardage play or doesn't work. Um, and then it's, you know, instilling the confidence in a special teams coordinator, an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator to blitz. You know, it may be times where it's, you know, a little bit risky, a little bit scary. Um, so having confidence in those guys and making sure they understand, hey, I'm, I got your back on this. Um, secondly, to operationalize that, to, to put it into the practice plan to where we make sure we're repping these things so that these guys have the confidence to call it. The players have the experience and reps to be successful at it, that they're confident in it. Um, so goes hand in hand. I've got to ask about Emmett Laws. When you found out he was commuting five hours a day to go to, to Matha, what was your immediate reaction? Uh, obviously very impressed. Uh, he's a unique young man. Um, I think you know, everybody will say, you know, Corey Moore, for example, right? Oh, my God, let's go sign this six-foot, 210-pound linebacker and make him an All-American end. I mean, you know, there, there's the exceptions – from a size and length and weight standpoint, which Emmett would be one. But when you have all these traits that are elite, these other character traits and commitment traits and sacrifice traits and all these things, that is what allows an exception to be successful, in my opinion. And he has all of those. He, you know, the, the, the journey, you know, the, the commitment to DeMatha – for him and his family was special, what they were able to do. Um, you know, family of five boys that, you know, I mean, and Emmett, you know, just doing what he's – his story is just a small statement to the type of young man he is. Um, all the traits that align to success. And, uh, you know, he's explosive, he's quick, he's hard to block – tremendous worker, um, just really, really driven. So I, I couldn't be more excited about him. So in the, in the current landscape, roster management is a, is a difficult ongoing thing. And I feel like it looks like some coaches are starting to bow out of the college game because they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with the transfer portal and NIL. Um, with, re with regards to that sort of thing and, and managing your roster, you're, you're currently on a roll. You retained a lot of players that you needed to retain. You brought in some key pieces. What's your overall philosophy on roster management? Clearly communicating with the players is part of it. But I see, I see your coaches out recruiting. You guys look like you're having fun. So what's the whole picture for putting a team together and keeping it together? Yeah, I think uh, it's the relationships. You know, it goes back to honesty, transparency. It goes back to a belief in a healthy balance. 
we're going to work our tails off as players and coaches, but this needs to be fun. These guys need to enjoy playing for us. They need to enjoy playing together. They need to enjoy Virginia Tech. I think we have all of those things going for us right now. You managed a redshirt all but five of your 25 high school players that you signed last year, which probably doesn't happen too often these days. Uh, how important is that to the long-term future of your program and, and your philosophies on building a roster? Yeah, again, uh, you know, we've done a nice job in the transfer portal, but with the number of high school players we've signed over these three cycles, you know, it, it's evident we're building this program on the backs of high school players. Um, developing guys from our footprint, particularly the state of Virginia. Um, you know, guys grow up in this program. And, uh, you know, so redshirting those guys, that's part of the process. We were very fortunate we could do that. We didn't have to play many guys that weren't ready. Um, give them a chance to get bigger, stronger, faster, learn systems, improve fundamentals and techniques. And, um, you know, that's why I, in my message to our staff last week, we had a, a mini retreat on campus, and it was about that second rung of guys. And, you know, it was from a leadership standpoint, how do these old heads that have had success, they have to have ownership in bringing this group along. As coaches, we have to understand this group is going to be critical, and it's the guys you're talking about that we were able to redshirt. They're going to have a role in in one way, shape, or form in this coming season and the opportunity for success. These guys, it seems like guys kind of look down on a redshirt. They're led to believe from a very early stage that if you're not playing as a true freshman, you're a failure. Yeah. How do you address that when you recruit and when you talk guys into yeah, redshirt? you have to address it. <laughs> you know, everybody's roadmap's different. And I've had players – you know, come out the gate and, and play for three years and be really successful and go play five years in the NFL. I've had players play five or six years in college, go play five years in the NFL. Um, you know, where you're at when you enter a program, the competition at the position, there's a lot of things that come, you know, come into it. Um, again, it's about trusting the process and just improving, developing, and being ready when the opportunity comes. Um, I tell them all the time, they're probably tired of hearing it. It's my job as a head coach to build the most competitive roster in the country. I'm, my goal is to go out and recruit somebody to beat you out. Like that, if, I'm, if that's not my goal, what am I doing? Like we have to improve. We all say we want to win a championship. Well, then don't we want the most competitive? We know and we all believe what competition does for us, how, how it elevates our work how it elevates our sacrifice, our commitment, our determination. You know, we've got a culture where nobody wants to lose. And so what are we willing to do to win? Okay, well, let's make the competition even tougher. When Aeneas Peoples and these guys walk into the D-line room, it elevates everybody around them. When Quan Felt and Jane Lane and Ali walked in the whiteout room, elevated everybody around them. Um, you know, so creating that competition is critical. And to do that, you have to go out and, and, and bring in quality players that can elevate, you know, each and every rep. Like I mentioned, Montavious going against Aeneas. You know, there's just a lot of things that, uh, you know, creating a competitive roster, it, it just it, – it, it moves the needle in the direction you want to go, you know, day in and day out. 
So a couple of interesting rule changes coming to the ACC. They're going to allow you to review video on the sidelines during games. And they are apparently going to set up one-way communication coaches to players who are on the field. Uh, <clears throat> where do you stand on being ready for that? What are your thoughts on that? You like it? Don't like it? What do you think? I was uh, very apprehensive. And we used tablets on the sideline during the military bowl game. And uh, they came over week of and gave a demonstration. Really easy to use. Coach player friendly. And, you know, coincidentally, we get all this rain in the bowl game and the grease boards are hard to use. I mean, that's always been a challenge, right? For as long as I've been coaching, you're trying to fix things and make adjustments and you can't get your marker to work. You got a manager <laughs> with a towel. You're, when all of a sudden here comes a tablet and you're pulling up the play, you know, pull up the series and then pull up play one, play two, play three. You're talking through it. You're showing it to everybody. Um, it was awesome. Uh, coaches, it was functional. It was easy to use. Um, so big believer in that. You know, the coach-to-player communication, you know, again, I'm apprehensive because we haven't done it. But, uh, you know, we need to move forward. I think where we can help with signals and, and, and everybody being on the, you know, same level playing field, and I'm all for that. Um, so we'll experiment with it. The ACC's, you know, deciding on some things now. But uh, the tablets were great in the bowl game. As I'm sitting here marking off my list, I'm reminded you have a question about the, his notebook. About the notebook. Yes. <clears throat> the notebook on the sidelines. Ah. Um, First of all, it's not a notebook. Okay. What is it? It's two pieces of cardstock. Okay. And it's got the defensive game plan on one side, and on the other side it has notes – an area for notes, staff, team, offense, defense, special teams. Um, I usually write the objectives, the things that I think are really important um, for us to win the game in each of the three phases. It may be two or three things. I don't want to lose sight of that. If we're not getting the ball to the perimeter and that was one of the goals, well, let's. what are we going to do? we got to fix this, you know. If, if we're not tackling the quarterback or defending the quarterback well enough, whatever those those two or three things that are keys to success in each phase, I write those on there to make sure I don't lose sight of them. Now you're talking about you write that stuff down before the game? Before or during, the game. Yeah. When you're writing on during a game, are those notes for later? Are yeah. they for halftime adjustments? What's going on there? Yeah, some of them are, you know, need immediate action uh, with a coach or a player. Um, a lot of them are halftime adjustments and a lot of them are observations that I'm taking from the game that you know things that we need to improve on or be aware of moving forward in the next week um, so there's a lot that goes on there <laughs> it's one of those things where when you guys weren't winning so much fans were seeing that during the game and it would make them <laughs> mad and now yeah. now that things are going better yeah. It doesn't seem to bother him nearly as much. <laughs> if you look around, I, I don't know what college head coach isn't taking notes, to be honest. I think everybody's got some way, shape, or form where they're they're jotting some things down. And it's challenging because, you know, you got to do it at the right time, and um, you don't want to miss something, and, but you want to make sure that you take note of what's important, what you realized. So one, uh, I think one last question I want to ask you because we're coming up on time here. Um, 
you're entering a 2024, you know, I know you got to go through spring football first and there's a lot that can happen between yeah. now and then, but you're entering a 2024 season where the expectations are higher. Um, I imagine as a coach, you close all that out and just focus on the day to day, but your players might hear and see things. Uh, how does that change your mindset dealing with them and dealing with the expectations going into the season? People are, have, people are saying 10 wins. You have to have a plan for it, but we've got great examples over the last two years. You know, I sat there when we were one and three telling them to ignore the noise that it didn't matter. And they believed me and we ignored it and, and we're able to improve and, and the encouraging things that were happening were real and the wins came. Ten win expectation, it's noise. You know, top 25, it's noise. Kyron Drones not in the top 10 returning quarterbacks. Noise. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with the team that we need to be and want to be. It really doesn't. Uh, so we ignore the noise. I love that they got pats on the back. I love that there's some confidence. But, uh, you know, we work hard at making sure they, they stay humble and hungry. That, uh, that those, you know, those perspectives have zero bearing on wins and losses in the team that we can be and the things that we can control. Chris, all, you got anything else? That's all I've got. All right. Coach, appreciate you coming on, and we will turn you over to Andy Bitter now. Folks, uh, oh, coach no. is going <laughs> to go from here <laughs> to doing a sit-down interview with Andy Bitter, which we'll get up on the website as soon as we can. Coach, appreciate your time coming in, and that has been Episode 348 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Awesome. Thanks, guys.